Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Scott Smelser is with us. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing well. Good, good to see you. Uh, Justin Dobbs, how are you? Doing fine, thank God. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. And uh, Dan Bunting, how are you doing? I'm great, and I'm so excited to be matching Scott shirt for shirt. Yes. Dan and I got the memo. Excellent. We have a Bible Quest uniform. Justin and I have to catch up next week. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, our topic today, uh, Justin, do you want to introduce what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. Um, so I, th I think one of the things, you know, our, our show is called Bible Quest. And so uh, our, our, our programs, this kind of discussion, we're, we're trying to help both seasoned students and people who may see the Bible as this um, unattainable uh, idea or this really curious uh, ancient book, how do we dig into this? And it is an adventure, but it, it can be a lot to handle. So I thought it would be helpful for us uh, to maybe talk some, not just about how to study the Bible, uh, but maybe how not to study the Bible. Um, we might think, well, it's a great book, and however you approach it, you're going to get good things out of it. And that's probably not true. Um, because the, the fact is, uh, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, that we can twist the scriptures to our own destruction. Um, uh, that's Second Peter three. I should have my Bible turned there. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Second Peter three and verse uh, fifteen. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures so it, it turns out that uh if if we have bad practices in the way we approach scripture and just adding more scripture to that the more we're going to strangle ourselves with scripture and of course satan used scripture itself to try to tempt jesus and get him to sin so uh, just knowing scripture isn't necessarily helpful to us, but there's a certain way of going about it that's going to reap benefit. Scott? Notice in that text the two categories of people that it says will twist it. What are the two categories? Yeah. Yeah. Ignorant and the unstable. Yeah. Yeah. Another translation, the unlearned and the unstable. How might an unlearned person make a mistake? Bible. You could make assumptions about maybe what the Bible says without knowing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say that uh, I'm not an electrician. No, I'm not just saying that I am not an electrician, but let's say as not an electrician, I decide to rewire my house and I decide to get a book on electricity. And I read the first page of the first chapter and I start rewiring my house. What? <laughs> what's a likely outcome you die uh yeah. you start a fire <laughs> i mean there's just all kinds of you're going to fry every circuit in your house yeah uh, so somebody reads you know one verse in the bible and that's they stop right there and they make assumptions that's not so you're going to twist you're, you're going to misunderstand other things but then there's category number two the unstable this person may know the bible very well this person may know it in hebrew and in greek this person may lecture at a seminary, but what, if a table is unstable, what's going on with the legs of that table? 
One's too long or too short. Yeah, it's not on a firm footing. So Jesus said, if we listen to his words and do what he said, it's like we're building our house where? But what if I build my house partly on the rock, but partly on what I want to believe, what my preacher said, what my seminary said, what my grandmother said, what the megachurch says. What feels good. Yeah, yeah. Then I've got one foot over here and one foot on sand. Is that going to be stable? No. So it's like the Pharisees in, in Mark 7. Do they come up and say, why aren't the disciples obeying the scripture? No, they said, why aren't the disciples obeying our traditions? Tradition elders. And Jesus pointed out that you end up breaking the word of God by keeping this. So we got to watch out for being unstable. Put both feet here. Don't have one foot on the other thing. And so I think one of the things that we we want to uh, talk to people about when they're coming to the Bible is we want to encourage application. And one of the things that I hear most from people is uh, make it relevant. You know, show me show me how to how this is real. Show me what it looks like in real life. And even after I've, I've preached a sermon that I think is just one of the most practical sermons in the world, um, they still say, "Yeah, I just I still need you to show me what it looks like." Uh, and we're we're hungry for practical application. Um, and that's actually one of the things I, I want to get some feedback from you guys about tips and things you'd say, these are pitfalls, what not to do. But maybe one of the ways that we can do that is by looking at a case example. Um, I want to look at first Samuel. And uh, this, is, this is kind of kind of an example of what not to do. Right. Uh, in first Samuel chapter uh, one, two, uh, and three, you have these kind of introduce people to these families. You have the family of Hannah, and then she has her little boy Samuel, and then you have the family of Eli, and he has his boys. And you could just read through this passage and come to some interesting ideas about all right, what is what does this look like? In First Samuel chapter two, uh, for example, if you look at verse twelve, it says the sons of Eli were worthless men; they did not know the Lord. Uh, the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it in the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me with the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. If not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel, kind of on the other hand, was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And there's more you could read in that background, but um, 
reading a passage like this with someone who's just hungry for personal application, you know, show me practically, what does this look like? I think one of the things that, that we'll see is, well, this is a passage about parenting. And so here's some good examples and bad examples. And we'll jump to some lessons about, you know, Hannah took her boy to worship and she got him ready for worship. She got him dressed for worship, got him clothed for worship. Um, and, and Eli and his sons, they were just, they, they were self-indulgent and, um, you know, they, he didn't know how to tell his, his sons no. And you're just good parenting, bad parenting. And you could move on from there to really powerful application to Baton Hall. Make sure parents on Saturday night, you get your children ready and make sure that you don't feed your children too many sweets and, you know, just kind of go on and on about personal practical application. Uh, I want to pause there and say, that's great that we're looking for practicals, but do you guys see any problems with how I've kind of gone about trying to understand this passage? You end up talking about what you want to talk about instead of the point of the passage. Yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm looking for mm -hmm. intersections in my life and I'm sort of like hot topic you know, what do I think is relevant? What do I think I most need? And so instead of letting God guide me to what I need, I'm saying, I already know what I need. I need parenting advice. I see people around me who need parenting advice. And so I choose this passage and I start whacking on parenting uh, with this passage. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my needs rather than looking at what God says. What other faults do you find? And just a comment on that one. You know, if you're reading about the flood, the lesson is not, if you're going on a trip, make sure your pet goes with you and make sure you have him in a, a little travel cage and make sure that he's got some food. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and stand and sing, yes. Um, that's the end of the lesson. Uh, I think there's some other passages we do that kind of thing with. Um, what Maybe one of them uh, I hear so often, um, you know, when you've got some giants in your life, you know, what are some giants that you have in your life? And we'll go to David and Goliath and talk about our giants, totally overlooking what that passage is primarily about. The passage is not about where are the big bad things in your life and how does God want to give you courage to face those things. Um, that passage has a, a, a different focus, I think. Um, maybe another one, John 6, um, Matthew and Mark also include these stories. Oh, all of the gospel accounts include the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if that story gets told into a children's class, what's one of the applications that maybe sometimes we make uh, about that story? You pray for dinner. Make sure you pray for your meals. That's right. Jesus thanked God before he sh shared his lunch. Yeah. yeah, make sure you share. Look at that little boy. What a good little boy sharing his fish sandwiches with Jesus. Uh, and because he shared, then everybody could eat. So make sure that you share. Uh, I mean, those are great practical lessons. Nobody can argue with those things, but I'm afraid that we ended up missing the point. And I don't remember who said it first, uh, but someone wants to describe this kind of Bible teaching, this kind of preaching as the way that a, a drunk man might use a lamppost. Um, it's holding him up, but it's providing no illumination. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's the way we kind of, we'll lean on certain passages and say, yeah, this is gonna do what I want it to do but we're not using it for what it was made for. So, so John 6, you know, other passages about Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000, that's got a particular focus, David and Goliath. There are a lot of other passages we could use that with, but we want to understand what was the spirit inspiring these men to write these things for. 
Scott? Yeah, this is this is important because sometimes really the, the point is missed and too often, too often you, somebody, for instance, sometimes in a sermon, and I remember doing this one time and I was really put out with myself afterwards. There was something interesting in the week that happened. It was really interesting. And I thought that'd be interesting to talk about. So I found a way for it to illustrate a biblical principle. And I told the story about the thing that happened and I, you know, stapled a couple of, a few verses to it. That's not starting with the word, that's starting with what we want to talk about. However, we also need to remember this. Sometimes there is a secondary thing that can be taught from a text besides the primary thing. And yes. to illustrate, uh, I'm studying with a friend of mine, right? Well, Dan, you go ahead and then no, I'll, no, I'll... You, you finish the illustration because that's the second point. A friend that's a Presbyterian minister. And so he's an evangelical Presbyterian. What would be a good book to study? Romans. So that's what we're studying. Well, when we got to Romans 6, I didn't start with baptism is immersion, Presbyterian sprinkle. That's not Paul's point right. in writing Romans 6. We looked at it within how it fits in Romans 6. But we see it in Romans 6, what it, the, where it fits in Romans is that, hey, we've already established that everybody sinned. And salvation is by grace through the blood of Christ that we put our trust in, not the law and not our works. But then you get to chapter six and it says, now, does that mean, does grace mean that we don't have to obey? And the whole point of Romans six is no, it doesn't mean that at all. Mm -hmm. So we studied it within the context of what it does mean. But then we backed up because when Paul wrote to the Romans, the Jews in Rome were not sprinkling. The Gentiles in Rome were not sprinkling. He didn't talk about being buried into Christ because there was, and there we go. Uh, but after we saw what it meant, the primary point in the text, then we backed up and we started doing a study of baptism in detail and noticing that it's a burial and noticing what the word means and, and looking at the purpose of it. And last week, he said he's convinced of the truth of it. He's still got some questions, mm. but he says, I see the truth. And we'll, we'll see what my friend decides to do with that. But he's, you know, he's <clears throat> seeing it. But I just want to illustrate that sometimes there is something to be learned from a text that was not the immediate primary point, but it can still be learned. But don't rush to the secondary thing we can learn of it and ignore the context. That's, that's excellent. And, and really, what we'll do is we'll better make those secondary applications when we've got a firm foundation of the solid point that the Spirit was leading us to. Dan? Mm -hmm. And one way that I like to think about this idea is, uh, particularly when, when it is a passage that is a story, the book of Romans doesn't tell stories, but some of the chapters have a unit concept. When you're looking at the story of Samuel and the story of Eli and his sons, those are, those are ideas. Those are, they encapsulate a message and a point. And that's, I, I use the word story to illustrate what you were talking about, Justin. What is the yes. spirit of this message? What is the story teaching us? And when we remember to, uh, sometimes you need to zoom back 
only a little bit to see the story. Sometimes you need to go all the way back and look at the whole book, but sometimes it's just the one chapter or the one paragraph and keeping that story really helps. But like you said, Scott, there's secondary ideas. There is something that happened in the week. This reminds me of something in the week and we jump out and we talk about those things. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. And they are absolutely healthy or helpful, I should say. But when that is what we eat, uh, when we're eating the snacks and the potato chips out of the Bible, we're missing that the actual mm. message that those stories, chapters, sometimes it's just a paragraph, but not that um, the meat or that solid meal that the whole story conveys. And so I have a question about parenting. Well, here's a little mention in a bigger story, but look what it says yes. about parenting here. And you might want to talk about that. But if, um, if somebody doesn't know the story of Samuel and Eli, well, then you, you send, that's your homework. You, you go read that on your own because those are easy chapters to read and understand uh, uh, for someone who might not even be used to the Bible. They're not very complicated. Uh, so, so we can talk about the little ideas. We can talk about the sidebars, but it's not a healthy way to live and grow. It's not the full meal that the Bible presents. Yeah. Now, I was just going to say, I, I, I want to uh, share some more about that idea of the full meal that the Bible presents, but go ahead, Scott, get, catch your point. Uh, recently, I did a sermon down in Georgia on the prodigal son. And I said at the beginning, showed the context from verse one to then what, what it's about. But I said, this particular parable is interesting also on the, the initial level too. Some of the family dynamics going on. Like for instance, when does the prodigal son come to himself? The last thing said before he came to his senses is nobody gave him anything. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, like I said, if grandma had sent him her discover card, said, oh, I heard it's rough. He wouldn't have come to himself. Um, so we saw this is the real point of the parable, but there's some mm -hmm. interesting and family dynamics going on. So we looked at that and then we turned and looked at the, the primary point. Uh, but, but it's helpful to distinguish between mm -hmm. you know, sub lessons and then, then this this over here. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe another, and, and parables are easy to do that with. I mean, with, for instance, the parable of the sower, uh, I think Jesus there is, is trying to get us to discern our own hearts but we'll immediately go to make application about evangelism. Well, that, those are good applications to make, but I need to first look at myself and say, am I bearing fruit? Have I heard the word? Am I taking it in? Am I acting it out? Um, and I need to make sure I'm doing that before I go and teach other people. But then by all means, you know, use it to think about how you're teaching other people. Um, I want to think some more about this passage here in 1 Samuel 2 and how to, how to use this as sort of a uh, a template maybe that we can apply, especially to stories that are in the scripture. Um, you know, there are different types of literature in the Bible, of course. Um, mm. There, you know, the epistle literature, uh, that's going to take a different kind of style of reading, but even still some of these basic principles are going to apply in most any passage. Um, I, want, I want to share a, a slide here with you. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's the one I want to share. Um, so just looking at 1 Samuel 2, you know, we can control our appetites, we can prioritize our worship. And what we've done really here is we have uh, moved uh, from the text to an immediate application of us today. 
you know, what, and what that's called is contextualization. We're, we're, we're trying to move as quickly as possible to a modern day application. And the idea of us doing what, what we need to do today, how do we apply it to, again, it's good, it's right, but we've missed some steps. Uh, maybe what you should think about instead of moving to us now is first think about what did this mean to them then? What did the initial audience of this particular passage have, in, have right before them? The first Samuel had a first audience. Romans had a first audience. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Uh, John had an initial audience. So what were their concerns? What were their conditions? Their idea of worship would be a very different idea in first Samuel than our idea of worship. Uh, their idea of, uh, of priests would be a very different idea than our idea. So we've got to think about what did it mean to them then? And that's just exegesis. You're just pulling out of the text looking at context, looking at history, uh, nothing really fancy about that. But if you move too quickly to us now, then really all we're doing is applying a history lesson. And the Bible's not just a history lesson. We, we've got some other steps to take. And, and this is where we need to kind of look beyond the history of what's happened and begin to reflect on the main story of the Bible, which is God redeeming his people, uh, God showing his righteousness, his justice, punishing sin, uh, restoring, and, and that's, you know, looking at the cross. Um, now, what we don't want to do, I, I think it was Spurgeon that said, I take any passage and make a beeline to the cross. That might not be good preaching sometimes, because if we, if we just jump straight to Jesus, um, we've missed out again on the them then. And we sort of got this abstract idea of what Jesus looks like in any given passage. Uh, you got to be careful about that. I was in a study one time where we were looking at Moses fleeing Egypt to Midian. And someone raised his hand and said, don't you know this is about Jesus and the seven daughters of Jethro are about the seven churches in Revelation. And they just jumped straight into these kind of crazy Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, yes, Jesus, the timeout. <laughs> you know, th what did it mean to them then first? And then let's get to Jesus. Let, let's look at God's character. Let's look at his redemptive concerns. Let's look at its hatred of sin. Let, let's look at all these pictures. I mean, Noah's got some great themes of Jesus, but think about the story first and then get to Jesus. And then from there, we can move to, I think, some solid applications. And I think, Dan, that's what you're talking about with this overall Bible story from start to finish. If we can bring an appreciation of the big picture of the Bible story to any story we're reading about, We'll know that the Spirit's trying to get us to Jesus, but through this historical framework that helps us to be ready for him when we do get to him. Those are some things I think that have been helpful to me um, as, as I've been studying with people, and I hope that's maybe helpful to some of our audience today. You guys see some of those same concerns when you, when you think about studying through a passage? E even worse than that. Was something I saw a few years ago. I was I was at a denominational building for something, and I saw the sermon typed out in the the rack for people to take with them. And it was how the this was back in the '90s when the movie X Men had come out with you know all their mutations. And the sermon was how the apostles were Jesus's X Men. And so, you know, they were in some ways misfits and different things. And then Jesus does. And it was, that was really weird. And then I found a movie ministry website 
And whatever the current movie is, it tells you how to make a sermon out of it. And I assume that's probably what this preacher was using. So like, what's, what's out right now? Batman, I forget which Batman it is. But if you look on that website, if it's still up, it's going to tell you how to make a sermon, you know, from that. And it'll give your theme and then it'll give you some Bible verses to tell him. And what's going on there is one, people aren't curious about the Bible. Two, the speaker doesn't trust people to be interested in the word of God. Hmm. He trusts that they're more interested in X-Men or Batman or, or, or Twilight or whatever. That's from a long time back. And so then he's trying to use that and then throw in a little bit of Jesus. You know, kind of like when your mom puts you in your applesauce. Well, one, that's just a terrible thing to do with word of God. Two, it's not going to work because, you know, some middle-aged guy up there trying to stick Jesus into Batman, it's not going to be as good as watching the movie Batman, if what you really want is Batman. And, and you're missing the whole point then. Well, another thing that that does is it assumes, and this is the case for a lot of people, um, it assumes that people love these stories of Batman, which clearly if, if millions and millions of dollars are getting pumped into it, then that's true. But it um, also assumes that no one wants to know the stories in the Bible. And it's surprising, it surprises me still, after I've been teaching for years and years, that people do like these stories. They're 2,000 years old. Maybe they've heard them before. But children enjoy hearing these stories, and not just little kids, but teenagers like to understand uh, these ideas and these concepts. Uh, they like to say, what was the deep meaning behind the Batman movie? And they'll talk about the moodiness in the movie. Uh, and you can have those. Th that is what the Bible does on its own. And people forget the power in, this, in, these, uh, in the stories of the Bible, in these events that happened and what it meant to people in their connection with the divine. And uh, it's sad if we skip over the stories in that sense. Stephen was talking about a study he had that was not really familiar with the Bible. And they were reading in Genesis, they got to Cain and Abel. And when they read what happened, they, were, they, they gasped like, oh. you yeah. know, <laughs> we're used to the story. But when somebody, you know, there, there's, there's power in these stories and look and see what's happening. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, let me uh, kind of quickly wrap up this picture in First Samuel 2 with what we've described is big picture, them, then, us, now. Uh, when we read First Samuel 2 and we see Eli's sons and Hannah, you know, there is a problem of worship, um, but you start looking for what would this have looked like for the Israelites? Here's a people who can't get to God because the priests are not doing their job as mediators. And they're crying out for a mediator. And God has to supply a new mediator who's going to bridge the gap. And suddenly we see a better picture of Jesus. And so we see a, a fuller reason for us to cling to Jesus and for us to value worship because we've been given a mediator who cleanses us of sins, who, who represents us to God. And it motivates us to offer to God acceptable worship, to be grateful for what he's done. Um, so uh, any, any kind of study that gets us to think more carefully about the original intent of the writers uh, and the original intent of the Bible story as a whole, I think you're right. These stories 
they're really powerful. But you start digging into them and looking for these kinds of uh, whole Bible theme messages, there's there's untold riches to be uh, taken here, and it's it's not difficult work. Uh, it can take take a long time to do, but anybody can really dig into it and and get it if they're willing to put the time into it. Dan, yeah. I think you had a thought about that. Yeah, yeah, and I like how you made a distinction. It's not difficult work. It just might take a lot of time. And um, sometimes we connect. Oh, this is taking a long time. It must be hard. Uh, God's given us a lot of years to live, and it, it doesn't take very operating a smartphone. Um, scrolling through Instagram is not very difficult, but boy, it sure takes a long time for someone to do it. We spend hours scrolling through our phones. Um, it's not about the difficulty; it's it's what people want to um, want to talk about. But to what you're saying, Justin, there's two verses that I think are really um, helpful in thinking about this. Uh, we're saying we need to be careful when we read and be careful about the way that we think about it. And that's absolutely the case. But there's there's two ideas that I think are really neat. One is in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is big and long. And uh, what Psalm 78 is doing is it is telling a big pile of Bible stories and wrapping them all together. And um, the message and the point of those Bible stories is scattered throughout the whole psalm. But in the first four verses, it says, Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I'm going to open my mouth. And he says, listen up. I'm going to tell you these stories. I'm going to tell you these parables. I'm going to say all these things. Verse 4, we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation these deeds, the, the works of the Lord. God did this. The psalm is saying, when you say or read, when you read the Bible stories, you are going to get the message of God. And uh, we need to be careful and we need to try. But it's also saying on that very simple level, if you take the time to read this, you will learn something. It's absolutely accessible. It's not wait till your kids have gone through school and gone through high school and have graduate degrees, then they can finally read the Bible. But just pick the thing up and read it to them, read it to yourself. You absolutely can learn. And Paul, who uh, there was the reference, it, it's in Ephesians chapter three, I want to look at now. There was a reference earlier from Peter who talks about the hard things that Paul writes, which, you know, I like to amen that every time I read it. Sometimes Paul has some complicated sentences, but if you take a step back from the sentences and look at Paul, the writer, you know what he's trying to get across. And in Ephesians chapter three, there is this mystery that was made known to Paul. God let Paul know something. And he says in verse four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And he just flat out says it. If you read what I write, Paul says, you're going to know Christ. You're going to know all the mysteries. They're, they're all revealed. Yeah, there's some complicated sentences. Sometimes there's some complicated paragraphs. Uh, and maybe we, by the time we get to the last chapter of Romans, maybe we forgot what the first chapter was about. But as we're reading through, we can understand what Paul is trying to get across. And as we try again and try again, we're going to mo learn more every single time. And so the Bible uh, sometimes will admit, yeah, it's going to be complicated. But it so overwhelmingly reminds us, you can understand me if you read me. And so I think that that's an encouraging thing to remember. Thing. I think, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you, if you have to finish your thought. 
yeah that was it that was it um yeah one thing that that i've been thinking of so my mind keeps going back all the things that you guys are talking about keeps going back to second peter three um, where it talks about the ignorant and the unstable and Paul, uh, scott made the distinction between those two i think the answer to not being ignorant and especially you know going off the the uh heels of what dan just said is just read it um a lot of people that i know that maybe have uh distrust of the bible or um don't like the Bible or, or whatever. They have all these reasons of like, I don't like the Bible because it does this. I don't like the Bible because it says that. I don't like the Bible because it's inconsistent or, or all this kind of stuff. And what I've noticed is when I talk to them and ask, uh, okay, you say the Bible is full of inconsistencies. Can you show me one? Mm. And their answer is usually, well, there are a lot of them in there. I'm like, but can you show me one of them? <laughs> and I, you come to find out. They've never actually seen the inconsistencies for themselves. They've heard that there are inconsistencies and just assumed that's how it is, but haven't actually read the Bible and found them for themselves. So it's like, if you feel that way about the Bible, go and find it and, and, and read it. So open it up. But moving on to the unstable types of people. Um, one way that I think you can be, become unstable in reading the Bible is um, assuming that you know what the Bible says before you actually go and read it. And assuming that you know the truth and you know exactly what it should say and you know exactly who God should be. And when you find that maybe it sounds a little bit different than what you have assumed that it is, that doesn't feel right or feel good to you. So the Bible must be wrong and I must be right. Um, and that's just not a, a good way of coming to a, a truthful conclusion in anything. Assuming that if it doesn't make you feel good or isn't what you originally thought it was, that it must be untrue. Um, there's a, a Bible story that a uh, I like to show this because it's really uh, the juxtaposition of the two verses is really ironic. Whenever Joseph in uh, Genesis chapter 37 is sold by his brothers and they throw him in the pit and they want to kill him, but they decide we're just going to sell him and send him off to Egypt as a slave. And they get his coat that his father gave him that they were particularly jealous about. And they covered it in goat's blood and brought it to their father, Jacob. And they said, do you recognize this coat? And Jacob immediately realizes that's Joseph's coat. It's covered in blood. And so he says, my son has surely been torn to pieces. He's, he's gotten attacked by a wild animal and he's dead. Um, and he decides that now he feels this great sorrow. That's his favorite son that's just died. And he's going to live the rest of his life in sorrow and mourning until he dies. Um, and so he says, you know, I'm, uh, the two verses, I'll read the two verses because they're ironic. They're beside each other. In Genesis 37, verse 35, all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, talking about Jacob. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol or to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Then verse 36 says, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So Joseph or Jacob is convinced. He feels extreme sorrow and he's convinced my son is dead. Mm. But the ironic thing is in the very next verse, his son is not dead. <laughs> um, and so just because you feel something really, really strongly doesn't mean it's true. And that can really mess with the stability of your understanding of the Bible. If you feel that this is how it has to be, but then you read the Bible and find out that's not how it is. Um, you're the one that's wrong, not the scriptures. Uh, and, and we need to be willing to, to realize that and admit that we're wrong and, and stick with the scriptures and the truth. In the so, phrase is interesting there in Second Peter. It says they will twist the scripture. Uh, two very different approaches. Uh, 
I'm going to read the Bible and work to make it fit what I believe. Or I'm going to read the Bible and repent and fit what it says. That's two very, very different approaches. And you will see people go through crazy contortions. They see what the text says, but they don't like what the text says. And they work and they work and they work to try to fit that text into their theology. And so they've got to twist it and abuse it and all sorts of things. That's not receiving with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul, James 1. That's trying to change it to fit me, and that isn't how it works. You know, the, the whole book of Psalms uh, begins with this uh, sort of gateway into this journey, into this relationship with God. Uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, since he discovers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, he, he's demonstrating a process, um, and, and the word I like to use is ruminate. Uh, he's, a, he's a ruminator. He's a Bible ruminator. And, and ruminators are actually these animals that have to chew the cut. <laughs> you know, they take it in, and then they'll spit it back up and chew on it some more, and they'll swallow it, and they'll spit it back up and chew on it some more. And it's just this process of keeping God's word always in your mouth. I think is what God told Joshua. You know, meditate. May these words always be in your mouth. Uh, it's not a complicated process, but it means that in Psalm 1, here's a man who loves for God to tell him what to do. And I think what you were saying, Scott, is, is instead of me telling God what I ought to do, what, what, what he should do for me, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out what does God say for me? So maybe, maybe one uh, recommendation would be that when we read the scriptures and find ourselves uncomfortable with what it says, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable with what the scriptures say. That, mm -hmm. That's actually probably a, a, a safe thing because it means that you're responding to the scriptures rather mm -hmm. than forcing them to be what you want them to be. So mm -hmm. spend some time uh, being uncomfortable with the scriptures and letting yourself acclimate. Sort of like when you get into a bath and you know it's going to be a warm, cozy bath, but not at first. <laughs> it's going to be really hot. And, but, but then it's going to, you're going to get acclimated and, it's, and you're going to shift to what you should be. Uh, the truth hurts us, and God's word is going to be uncomfortable because we've been twisted. We've been corrupt and perverted by our own sin. Getting straightened out is not going to be an easy process, but it's a simple enough process that anybody can do it, provided we're going to stick with it and just keep on chewing on it, and chewing on it, and we'll extract the things that God wants us to extract. We've got some comments that have come in from uh, listeners. Uh, one comment for uh, what's it there? Yeah, from uh, Patrick primary and secondary points in any passage are true. Uh, PJ also mentioned the value of prayer along with your Bible study and paying attention to things like the quotation marks and who's talking. That's important. Um, you know, if, if, if you're reading a passage and it's the devil speaking, that's not a real good passage to apply to yourself. Uh, pay attention who's speaking, pay attention who's being spoken to, Dan. Well, there's two times I was going to use this, had it, had it ready. It's Psalm 10, verse 4, and Psalm 14, verse 1. It says explicitly, there is no God, and it puts it in the mouth of fools and people who are ignorant. So 
um, I, I love that as just a very funny illustration of not every Bible verse um, should be, you know, crocheted and, you know, or, or plastered on your wall. Um, uh, we need to understand that the Bible tells us and gives us the context of this is the wrong person speaking, but it gives us their voice as well to put it next to uh, the truth of God. And, and on who's being spoken to, sometimes people look at something spoken, say, to Hannah or to the apostles, and they're told to do something specifically for them, and then a person thinks they can do that. Um, and, and like with the apostles, there's an old joke, you guys might have heard this before, but it describes somebody that uses just like the open and see what God says to me approach. And so this guy is going to just open his Bible and see where the Lord leads me. Judas went out and hung himself. Oops. Luke 10. Go thou and do likewise. Ooh. Try again. In the Gospel of John. What you do, do quickly. <laughs> based on not paying attention to what the context is who's talking who's being talked about mm -hmm. and like that and just you know grabbing something mid-sentence that's not the way to do bible study justice on that um in the last few years i've really uh redeveloped an appreciation for topical bible study it's important it's good You'll see uh, Bible writers, of course, writing topically. However, um, there's, there's still a lot to be said uh, for just reading through a book of the Bible and trying to become best friends with Philippians and reading it through again and again and again. And I'm not reading Philippians because I'm looking for something specifically in Philippians, but I'm reading Philippians because I want to know the message of the spirit through Paul to those people then see Jesus better in it and then apply it today. And you, you're not going to go wrong with something like that. And I think years of that kind of study, you're going to hit a number of topics that you weren't even looking for. And you're going to do it better because it's going to be in the context of other, other topics that support this particular topic. Uh, I think that's just a, a slower way to go. Maybe. I mean, again, topical study is important. Uh, if you need to study marriage, divorce, and marriage, by all means, I mean, like, do a topical study on that. But the mm -hmm. context uh, of just slow, layered study over time, uh, that that kind of longevity is going to, I think someone mentioned nutrients earlier, but it's, it's just going to build you up spiritually in ways. I think topical study is going to leave you, uh, it's like you've been eating the snacks all the time. you got to be careful about that. Yeah, and that reminds me, uh, we got, had that comment from PJ about prayer as he's reading through. And I think one of the things he was mentioning was prayer for understanding, getting God's help, you know, uh, as we go into the word. But another great way to read is to pray about what we have read. Not that simply that we understand, but as we read, uh, as, as we're doing our daily reading uh, of, of different stories or different parts of the Bible, what... Uh, what does this make me want to pray about? Uh, what does uh, you know, the prayer for my encouragement, prayer for doing better, prayer, I learned something new today that I need to change in my behavior. Uh, and, and so that's one way that uh, of, of putting the, the reading that you're doing, Justin, finding the small or large topics and then making an application to my life is 
how does that affect my prayer and needs in my life? So we're about out of time. Good comments, guys. Good discussion. I'd like us to just continue this uh, next time. Uh, that'll probably be two weeks from today because I think most of us are going to be busy uh, in Elmira, New York next week at the ETS lecture up there. Um, but the uh, when we come back, we're going to talk some more about how to study the Bible. Um, Dan's got a suggestion here talking about how to read history, how to read epistles, how to read poetry, how to read apocalyptic. I want us to talk about context, paying attention to context. There's lots of verse, some very well-known verses that don't mean what people think they mean because you always hear them out of context. And when you look at the context, oh, that wasn't even what that was saying. Um, but then I want us to talk about the problem of straightjacketing context. You'll have people sometimes they don't want to apply the Bible. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That was written to this church in the first century, and we've grown beyond that in, in, in type of things. Pay attention to context, respect context, but don't straightjacket context. Mm -hmm. uh, Romans 6 has a lot about, you know, being a new man, not being the old man. I don't get to dismiss that because, well, that was written to Jews and Gentiles in Rome. Yeah, but it's written to, <laughs> you know, the principle applies to anybody that's going to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And I also want to talk about, uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to throw this out there a little bit. Years ago, I had a friend, and he was he was working in the gospel, and he got discouraged because he couldn't remember where the biblical texts were. Other uh, people couldn't, he couldn't. And it's not because he wasn't bright. He spoke multiple languages. He was a bright guy. But his approach to studying scripture was ineffective. And I, I, I got him to change his approach from trying to memorize a bunch of verses, which is like trying to carry a bunch of eggs without a carton. You get to a certain point, there's only so many you can hold. And if you put another few on there, they start falling. Oh, it was that first John 4, 3 or third John 14 or John 4, 31. You know, learn the book, learn the mm book. -hmm context and wants to talk about how to see the story behind an epistle because stories make things memorable and there's mm -hmm. stories behind the epistle so we'll talk about some of those things in two weeks good stuff good all right well thank you guys for your discussion thank you to our audience for uh, tuning in today uh, we have kind of a direction that we're planning on going if you have some questions or thoughts about that or anything specific you'd like us to discuss in that uh, topic in two weeks you can go to biblequest.tv and you can submit those questions or comments there and we'll be able to look at those and and plan to be able to help answer those questions uh, like what we started at the beginning of the show our, our goal is to help seasoned Bible students and brand new to the Bible people, you know, understand the Bible, find the truth, and, and any way that we can help do that, we'd be happy to. So uh, that's all we have for this week. Go ahead, Scott. Much for people that are listening and making comments in the box here and stuff. We really appreciate the interaction. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. That's all that we have for this week. And like Scott said, we will plan on seeing everyone in two weeks, Lord willing.